go ahead and have a seat. We're so glad that you're here. Have a seat if you can find one, right? I, uh, I lost just a few minutes ago when we were playing spiritual musical chairs. I was out of a seat, and so uh, that's all right. I'm preaching today, so we're so excited about you being here. Praise God, we're getting a new building soon in just a matter of weeks that we get to move into, and we hope that you will also join us in that move over to our new property. We are continuing our series called The Comeback, and so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. I think I've got a little bit of ring or something going on here, guys, if y'all could help me with that, a little bit of feedback. Genesis chapter 45, we're going to be continuing in the story on Joseph as we look at this. And you know, what an incredible song that we just sang together, It Is Well With My Soul. One of the great things, and I know you're thankful for this, is that God gives us the gift of eternal life. He saves us, praise God. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you're going to heaven, amen, right? You've got that settled. But here's something that so often that we, in this life that we live right now, that we miss is that so often we're missing out on this great gift of peace that he wants you to experience, where you can actually live what you just sang out, where you can say, it is well with my soul, where you have peace in your life and you have God's joy. Those are gifts that God also gives you. He wants you to begin experiencing some of those portions of heaven, even in this life right now, and give you that abundant life. But here is the fact. The fact of the matter is, is that many of us don't, we can't say it as well with our soul. Many of us can't live that out truthfully because the reality is that for many of us, there's such brokenness in our relationships and such baggage with some of the past hurts in some of our relationships that it is very difficult to sing a song like that. It's hard to say. There is nothing, in fact, that will rob you of that peace quicker than whenever your relationships with people are messed up. Amen, right? It just saps that out of you. And we are at this critical point in the story of Joseph's life where, where Joseph has some big decisions to make about what he is going to do with this dysfunctional family that is all of a sudden he thought was out of his life. He thought they were gone. They show back up and, and he's, he's been grappling with all of this stuff for, for, for all of these years and it resurfaces at this point in his life. It all began in his home life where he grew up, where, as we've been learning, there was tremendous family dysfunction. There was so much that not just in his immediate family, but the, a long line of just dysfunction that we've been learning about, which led to brokenness in the relationships and sinfulness in the relationships. And, and it's not unlike many of us. Many of us have experienced that in our lives. In fact, I asked this in the last service. How many of you would say this, uh, that, that perhaps, and not all of you will raise your hand for this, but perhaps for some of you, the biggest wounds and pains that you carry in your life have come uh, from the hands, not necessarily hands, but just in the relationship that was broken. Someone else did something to you, it's affected you, and that's been some of the biggest and most of the baggage that you've carried in your life. Would you just raise your hand? Just be honest. A lot of us, okay? And if you haven't, you, you've certainly experienced some difficulty in dealing with difficult folks. But the reality is that a lot of people, a lot of people go through life with all of this brokenness in their life and God hasn't flooded into that area and brought healing yet for various reasons. And, and so that peace just isn't there for a lot of people. Now, uh, a, a lot of times our deepest wounds come from those who are closest to us. Now, don't get me wrong, so also some of our greatest joys can come from those who are closest to us. So don't think my first point today is people, they're the worst, who needs them, right? Okay, that'd be good. We could say amen to that. People, who needs them? And then amen, let's go home. Some of you could live with that, right? But we're actually going to go to work a little bit in this and ask God to do some spiritual surgery on our hearts today. The reality is that all of us have to deal with difficult people. We all have to deal with past pain. We all have to deal with brokenness in relationships at one point or another. And here's the thing. We all have, because of sin, we all have dysfunctional behaviors. And because we're all sinners, when you get us together, we're a mess, aren't we? Because we're all broken. 
We all, you know, uh, have problems and we all have things that are broken in our life. That's why it is so critical that we understand the grace and the gospel message of Jesus Christ and we keep preaching that and we apply it in our lives and we, we apply it in our lives and we understand that his, that his grace is so powerful he wants to change us from within so that we can be a conduit of that grace and peace to others. In Genesis, though, Joseph's family, which, by the way, was the line from which Jesus Christ himself would come from, our Savior, he would come out of this family where there was all kinds of enormous amounts of jealousy. There was favoritism. We learned last week from Pastor Randy doing just an incredible job teaching us about the history of this family and their patterns of dysfunction that have carried up to this point. We learned about Jacob's poor parenting. Jacob was a poor parent because he saw it done in other ways there. We've seen this family filled with manipulation, filled with deception. There's abuse in this family. There's immorality. You name it. You look at this family, you're going to see this family was messed up. They had a long line of dysfunction and something needed to change. By the way, if you missed the last couple of weeks for spring break reasons or whatever, I encourage you to go back online because we're doing kind of a little mini-series within the series where we decided as your pastors that we're not going to fly through this. I've read through this so many times in my lifetime. I really felt like God was saying, I want you to slow down in this. Our objective is not to get through uh, the passage as fast as we can and get into the next series. Our objective is to say, God, what do you want to do with this right now? Are there some wounds that need to be healed by you? Are there some things that need to be changed within us? And so we've asked God to do heart surgery on us. And we've kind of we've tilled up the soil these last few weeks. We told you that that was going to happen. Some of you have probably been struggling emotionally if you've been here these last few weeks, struggling emotionally with what to do with some of this stuff. But here's the deal. God wants those cycles of dysfunction to stop with us. And we've been experiencing this by looking in God's word. God wants us to know how to live with that kind of peace that we just sang about. Joseph was hated by his brothers. He was hated by them, and and this created such a a messed up kind of relationship and family dynamic there. He was ultimately betrayed by them. He was abused by them, abandoned by them, and in a spontaneous moment, rather than murdering him like they were planning to do, they sold their own flesh and blood as a slave into slavery. And I asked this question a couple weeks ago. How do you even recover from that? I mean, how do you get through something like that? How do you move forward in life if anybody had a reason to carry themselves in life as a bitter person? Joseph was a candidate. If anybody was going to go through life mad at everybody and taking it out on everybody and being angry with God and angry with the situation and, and, and just living in total bitterness and just that enveloping his entire life... Uh, this certainly could have been Joseph, right? And, and, and we know when we look and, and, and look at the entirety of the story, we know that God was preparing Joseph. We know that God was ordering the steps of Joseph, that God never left Joseph, that he was preparing him and, and actually getting ready to save all of Israel through a lot of this pain. But you need to know Joseph couldn't see all of that at this time. He couldn't see this. And I, and I just think is he's in the prison and, uh, you know, he, uh, he, and he's maybe grappling with, with whether or not he's going to hold a grudge or not. And we can look at the whole landscape of his story and see God at work. But I just wondered if there were times in those darkest moments where he was forgotten in the prison if he kept thinking about his brothers. They did this to me. I can't believe they did this to me. My life has not turned out the way that I thought it would. And he's in the prison, as you know, by God's grace, as we've read his story, suddenly through God's power, God takes him out of the prison. He's promoted to the prime minister of Egypt. Now he is the man, right? He's the man with all of the power. He's been in Egypt now uh, in, at, for, for 20 years, but he's been in power in Egypt for about 10 He is a true rags to riches story, but it's been 20 years since he's had any kind of communication with his father and with his brothers who had done all of this to him. They've been out of his life. 
out of sight, out of mind. It's been over 20 years. He has overcome everything by God's power, everything that has been thrown at him, uh, you know, through this period of time in his life. He is, has a family of his own. He has power and prestige and status. He's managing a famine. People look up to him. He's living the Egyptian dream when you look at it. All of this has come about from all appearances, it may even seem like he has it all together, right? But there's some stuff that's going to emerge in his life because his brothers show up. As a side note, isn't it interesting, I was thinking this this week, that all of these material blessings that he had could not heal or satisfy the inside of his soul. And he realized when his brothers showed up that there was something that needed to be healed within him. He's living the dream that God gave him, but God was about to move him into this uncomfortable place in his life. And I I want you to know, God was the one that moved him into this uncomfortable place. And God's moving some of you into an uncomfortable place of confronting some of the things from your past. And he's dealt with the pit, passed that test. Dealt with slavery, passed that test. Prison, passed it, right? False accusations, dealt with all of these things as well as anybody possibly could. But now he's going to be dealing with perhaps the hardest thing in his life, and that's forgiving people from his past, confronting his baggage. I said a couple of weeks ago, and here's your point, okay, for you today. Forgiving jerks is one of the toughest parts of life. Amen? I thought that'd be, man, I'm on fire today. You guys are with me, all right? What we've discovered a few weeks ago in the story is that through the years, he's been suppressing all of this. Forgiving people who have hurt us, those jerks, those people that have hurt us in our past or whatever, he's been suppressing all this. That was his way of dealing it, but really not dealing with it, but not really dealing with it. I believe that he had pushed this stuff so far down, and now he's a middle-aged man, and he's dealing with this stuff, or he's about to deal with this stuff. And here's the thing, if you don't deal with it, it always has a way of coming up. A lot of times it happens when you're middle-aged and you start, you know, but, but, but he's, he's had this moment where his brothers walk in like a bunch of hillbillies. And a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I, I used dueling banjos, a little neener, 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 neener. You know, whenever they walked in, the banjos, he's having his how do you like me now moment with Toby Keith, right? And uh, Pastor Randy last week when they went back to Canaan used, used carry on my wayward son, Kansas, and then I thought, okay, so they're back in Egypt now. And I thought I could use the boys are back in town. I could use that. But I thought his brothers, they don't recognize him. He knows them, but they don't recognize him. And maybe it's because he has a new walk. Maybe he was walking like this. Walk like an Egyptian. Right. All right, you remember that? Remember that? Now you know. What Pastor Randy and I do all week. (laughs) We come up with goofy stuff. But at this part of his life, right, we're shown by Scripture a side of Joseph that we have not seen yet. And I got to tell you, this part is gut-wrenching, but it's refreshing for me. It's refreshing because the way he handled all that stuff in the beginning, sometimes I got to be honest with you, I didn't quite relate because I don't think I would have handled it that well. But he handled things so well, all these other things. And I think God showed us that, that we can. But here is the deal. Now I can start relating to this guy because when the source of all this pain shows up, we see a guy whose emotions start running wild. He gets just beside himself at different moments. We can relate to this when these these things emerge, his emotions erupt. We see that he's angry and he should be. Then he gets harsh. He's harsh with them. What do you want? What are you doing here? They don't know who he is still, right? And then at some points, we see he relents a little bit and he's kind to them. I think at this point, and then he's harsh again. Then he's throwing someone in prison. Then he gets ticked off. And then he's sad. You see in these chapters, he has to several times remove himself from the scene. And this man's man has to go. And he's just overcome and he, with emotion. He weeps. I mean, you think about all that pain, it's understandable. 
It's understandable, but he goes back and forth. Then he's passive-aggressive, isn't he? And I can relate to that a little bit. He starts playing games. He throws them in prison in one moment. Oh, you throw me in a pit? I'm going to throw you in the prison. How about that? You're going to get a little dose of your own medicine. He's just, and then he sets them free. He holds one hostage. I mean, go and read the story if you haven't. I don't have time to cover it all. But he just goes back and forth, and I think it's this. I think he doesn't know what to do. I think he's not quite sure about what to do with all of this. In chapters 43 and chapter 44, he's messing with their minds. And it's really pretty humorous at certain times, especially when he lines them up and he's giving, they're having a feast together and they finally bring the younger brother, Benjamin, back. And the next thing you know, he gives Benjamin five times the amount of food because Benjamin had nothing to do with any of this. He gives him five times the amount of food that he gives his brothers. And they're going, why is he getting all of this food, you know? And, and it's just hilarious how he goes back and forth. He's, he's deceiving them. He's tricking them. He's messing with their minds. He's manipulating them. Uh-huh ah, wait a minute, does that sound familiar? What does it sound like? It sounds like what's been going on in his family for many, many, many years, true? I think at this point, Joseph doesn't know what to do, so do you know what his default mode is? The cycle of dysfunction that has been going on in his family for all of these years. And he starts doing some of the things. He's taking it into his own hands. He's going to handle it. He's just so confused. He deceives them. He manipulates them. He's tricking them. If you look at the story, go back and listen to Pastor Randy's message. That's what's been going on in this family for, for decades and years and years. It's been going on. And now he's back at this place and this flood of emotions that he's dealing with, he can't handle it. He doesn't know what to do with it. But God was going to force him to deal with this. And it's not out of meanness. It's because God loves him. And God loved Israel. And God was wanting to move them into a new place. And God loves you. And he's wanting to move you into a new place of freedom. A new place. You ever been there where... Maybe you think you're over stuff or you're through stuff. Maybe they've been out of sight, out of mind, and then you see her at the wedding. Or you see him at the store. Or you come across that email that maybe you had tucked away for a while, but now you see the email and you decide for some reason to go back and read it. And then just you get mad all over again and it's like re-emerged and you're dealing with it all over again. You know, you thought you were past it, but you're not. Probably a lot like this. Probably 90% of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump. You know I'm Pastor Gump because of all the running, right? Okay. Um, but you know in that movie, um, I, I, really, I really love the movie there. I love this Forrest childhood uh, friend that he deeply loved, right? And, he, and just loved this, this young lady. In fact, I, I've just had this, this idea all week. I want to hear you do this. Say in your best Forrest Gump uh, kind of accent, what was her name? Yeah. Oh, that was good. I've been waiting for that all week, okay? Man, Forrest loved Jenny to a fault, didn't he? to a fault, and he's so loyal to her. And it's incredible. Uh, when you watch this story unfold, you just see this. And I think the reason that movie is so beloved, because there's a lot of people that really relate to her story. A lot of people relate to the way that her story unfolds. She goes through most of her life trying to deal with all the dysfunction that she came out of. And she never knew what to do with any of those, with that mess of her past and the history. There had been abuse in her life. She tried to find love and acceptance in all kinds of different ways. And she experimented with lots of things and was just trying to find a place to fit in, right? And her life was all about an escape and denial. I just got to escape this. I'm going to put this all behind me. I'm never going to deal with this again. And then one day in her life, when she finally kind of is coming to the end of herself and she reconnects with Forrest and they're walking along and she's doing much better in life now. Seems like all that stuff's behind her, but there's a heart-wrenching part in the movie because as they're on this walk together and they're talking about things and they're starting their new life together, she makes a turn down this road and then all of a sudden what happens? She sees the old house that she grew up in. You remember that part of the movie? And you just see this change in her countenance. Watch this part of this. 
Every day we'd take a walk, and I'd jab her on like a monkey in a tree, and she'd listen about ping-ponging and shrimping and Mama making a trip up to heaven. I did all the talking. Jenny most of the times was, was real quiet. Sometimes I guess there just aren't enough rocks. It's an emotional part of that movie, isn't it? And that's what happens a lot of times when you confront things from your past and you see this, if you don't deal with them, they just show up and these emotions erupt within us. We don't know what to do and, and maybe our way of dealing with it is throwing rocks and trying to knock that thing down, obliterate that thing, but in the... In the wise words of the great theologian Forrest Gump, there's never enough rocks, right? There's never enough rocks to knock down the source of all of that pain from our past on our own, on our own. There's never, we can never find enough rocks to obliterate that stuff whenever it emerges. By the way, someone in the last service pointed this out to me and it just was a powerful point that this lady said to me. She said, you know, she could never destroy that house. Forrest went back and bulldozed that house. And really, the bottom line is, I have a hard time equating God with Forrest Gump here, but here's the deal. Only God, I should have thought this through more. Only God, only God can bulldoze that past, right? Only God can change those things. And what God's teaching me and what God has taught me is that there's truly only one way to deal with this kind of stuff when it emerges to release this from our past wounds. Only one way of finding healing and making peace with our past. It's when we do finally have the courage to confront that source of the pain. And rather than throwing rocks till we're exhausted and we're exhausting ourselves, trying to take it all down ourselves, by the way, did you notice the house was still there, right? There's never enough rocks on our own to take care of it. What God is trying to show us is that if you want to find freedom from that, and by the way, God wants to move you into freedom from that and from those things. You want to find freedom from those to where those things are those things that represent those people that hurt you, lose their power over you. The only way this works is for you to turn to Jesus, for you to put it all into his hands, including them. It's trust. You're putting it all into his hands. You're trusting him to set the record straight, and you're asking him to guide you through the process process of forgiveness. That's the only way this works. It's this word. It's this key word in this story of Joseph, this word forgiveness. It's a controversial word, isn't it? It's a beautiful word whenever we need it. Amen? We don't like the word whenever we're called to give it. It's such a controversial word. It's, it's so difficult, but it, the reality is that when you have been legitimately wrong, nothing will bind you up or hold you hostage or make you more miserable and actually hinder you from, from moving into the destiny that God has for you and for your family. Nothing will hinder that process more than an unforgiving heart. Nothing will rob you of your peace and of your joy more than this. Scripture tells us this. If you're taking some notes, write this down, that resentment and, and these grudges, they're actually foolish. They're counterproductive. 
Job, another one who went through so much in his life and had every right, you would think, to be bitter. Job writes this. He says this, that surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple, he says. Solomon, who was wise, wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Now watch this part. For anger lodges in the hearts of, of what? Fools. It lodges in our hearts. We carry that with us. You're destroying yourself. It's counterproductive in your life. It's destructive to you, and nothing will block God's movement more in your life and make you miserable than whenever you hang on to a grudge. And you won't release those resentments. In many cases, they hurt you more. In many cases, those people don't even, maybe they don't even care that they've hurt you, right? That's the truth in a lot of, a lot of stories. When you continue to carry all these weights it's like this big bag of rocks that you're carrying around. You're trying to move through life as, you know, with freedom and freedom and peace and joy. And it's like you're carrying this big bag, this heavy bag of rocks, this baggage. Nothing will, as you move through these, you carry all this from yesterday, it will utterly ruin and rob you of the joy and the peace that God has for you today. And it'll hinder the progress of where God wants to take you to tomorrow. As you carry that big bag, that baggage of rocks, and when you can continue to carry these things, you're robbing yourself of God's joy in your life. And Joseph was out of that Egyptian prison, but now that his brothers are back up on the scene, and they're back up in his life now, and he thought he was past it, now he's in an emotional prison. He puts the shackles back on in some ways. And in chapters 33, 43 and 44, you see, you're seeing him kind of taking things in his own hands. You're seeing him seek out revenge in a little bit. He's an emotional wreck. Judah, in chapter 44, who was one of the main haters, Judah, one of his brothers, still in ignorance that he's even talking to Joseph, is, is continuing to perpetuate the lie that Joseph was, was dead because he was attacked and killed by an animal. And he does not realize that he's telling Joseph this. Can you imagine the rage inside of Joseph at this moment whenever he's hearing that that's the story you cooked up for our father? And he's just so angry about this and broken by this as any of us would be. And it's building to this emotional boiling point at this part of his life where he's either going to deal with it in a few different ways. He's going to suppress it further, just get out of my life, go on, and we would see a whole line of people that would not be saved as a result of him not dealing with it. Either that or he's going to seek revenge. Or we're just going to see him deal with it in some unhealthy kinds of ways. Or the other option is he's going to choose forgiveness. He's going to make a choice for forgiveness. And in this gut-wrenching, climactic moment, in this breaking point in Joseph's life, he decides to make the choice to forgive. I want you to see this emotional release for Joseph as we read this in chapter 45. It's like this, you feel this weight. It's like he drops this big bag of rocks that we're talking about carrying around. He drops it. It comes, the weight comes off of his shoulders. Genesis chapter 45 verse 1 says this, Joseph could stand it no longer. He's kind of at the end of, of himself. He's tired of playing the game. He's tired of faking it. He's tired of, of, and he says, I can't stand this anymore. There were many people in the room. All of his Egyptian attendants were in there at the room. And he said to all of his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And then he broke down and he wept. This wasn't the first time. He had done this multiple times if you read the past few chapters. But this is interesting. He wept so loudly at this point. He's sobbing. He's wailing. This man's man who's handled all of these problems so admirably at this point. He is so broken. He wept so loudly. The Egyptians could hear him. The ones that he had sent out and word of it quickly carried to the Pharaoh's palace. Even Pharaoh himself was going to hear about this. Word was spreading out that, that, that there was something going on in Joseph's family. And here's the thing that I just thought of this week was Joseph was about to get to model the forgiveness of God. 
And all of those people who saw all of this, they probably thought he's about to kill them. He's about to take them out. He's going to model God's grace for all of these people. He says to them at this point, because remember, Judah was still lying, didn't realize he would talk, oh, our brother, he was killed by animals. And look at what he says. I am Joseph, he says. I'm Joseph. The one that you think is dead and gone, he says to his brothers. And then I notice he goes right to his father. Is my father, is he, is he even still alive? But his brothers were what? They were having an oh boy moment, right? Some of you have thought other things. I did not. But at this point, they were probably terrified. They were speechless. They did not know what to say. They could not believe their eyes at this point. As he's confronting them, they were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. I imagine they probably didn't know what to do. They're probably backing away thinking, he's about to kill us. This is about to all go down right here. And look at what he says. Come closer. Please come closer to me, he said. You've been pushing me away all of this, all of our, our lives. Come closer to me. So they came closer and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery, into Egypt. I notice he doesn't water it down, does he? I mean, he calls it like he sees it. But then he says this, don't be upset and don't be angry. And I want you to watch how much he points to God being at work in all of this over and over. Watch what he says. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. To be able to say that, something had to happen in Joseph's heart. Because I might have been, yeah, come closer, you know. And, but, but he wasn't like that. He said, come closer. It was God. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. While they were away back in Canaan and he's, he's realizing what's going on, he's managing the famine. It's all starting to come together for him now. He's starting to see that God was really in control of all this. This famine that has ravaged the land for two full years will last for five more years. You wouldn't survive without me is what he's saying. This famine that has been going on where there's neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you, once again pointing to God, to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it is God who sent me here, not you. It was God who has been ordering the steps of my life. God has control of my life. You don't. God does. God's in control. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, the governor of all of Egypt. And now he says, now hurry back to my father. I want you to go back home and I want you to tell him this is what your son, your son Joseph says, God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen. Remember, he has access to whatever, whatever he says is going to happen is going to happen where you can be near me with all your children. I want you near me with all your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and everything you own. What he's saying is this, I want all of this stuff to end. The stuff that's been going on between us for all of these years, it ends now. That's what he's saying. I want it to end. The cycle of dysfunction, all of this garbage, the way we've been living like this, bound up in all of this bitterness, it stops stopping with me. Now I want you to notice he'd been weeping in, an, in one kind of way in sorrow and mourning. And now look at what begins to happen. You see this release begin to happen. Weeping now with, what does it say? A joy. The joy that had been gone has been replaced in his life. He embraced Benjamin. He'd missed watching Benjamin grow up. And Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph I think this is the real test right here. Kissed each of his brothers and he wept over them. That's an emotional part of this passage. After that, they began talking freely with him. Joseph was the catalyst to this. 
many people, and I've done it too, we've put ourselves back in prison. The Lord has set us free. When you get saved, he breaks the shackles off of our hands. We're free in Christ. The scripture speaks so much of that, and so often we put those chains back on. And we walk around carrying that heavy sack of rocks. And whenever the stuff reemerges, and we're just like in that video, we're trying to obliterate that stuff on our own. And we're throwing rocks at everything that represents that. We're exhausting ourselves. We're emotional wrecks. We don't have peace. We're trying to deny it or escape it or, or whatever. And finally, he confronts it and some healing starts to happen. Here's the deal is God wants that to begin with you. God wants you to be a Joseph in that situation. God wants you to be the Joseph of your family. God wants you to begin to move into your destiny and wants you free. And he wants you uh, to be free of some of those things that have been binding you up for all these years. Here's a point to write down. Forgiveness is for your benefit. It benefits you. Where unforgiveness is counterproductive and it's really robbing you. You're not hurting them. You're drinking your own poison there, right? When you're unforgiving. But forgiveness is for your benefit. It's not always for the benefit of the person who's wronged us. And when I choose to be obedient to the command, by the way, it's a command. I don't have time to break that down today. But the command that God gives us, what I'm doing when I choose to be obedient to God, I'm actually doing myself a huge favor. I'm actually releasing myself from some of this as I take this off of my, the weight off of me, and I transfer it to God. June Hunt said this in one of her great books. She said, the primary reason God wants us to forgive is because forgiveness sets us free to be all that he designed us to be. And you can't move into God's destiny for you and be carrying that unforgiving, bitter heart. God will wait upon you. And sometimes God will even allow discipline to come into your life to move you to this place. God wants to move you into this freedom in your life. And it's not like he's this parent, how sometimes maybe our kids get crossways and they won't get right with each other. And he's like, you just get over there and you say you're sorry and, and, and he's scolding you or whatever. Sometimes we view that, that situation like that's what God is doing with us. But we've got we've to eradicate that way of thinking. The reason God wants this in your life is because God is saying, look, I love you so much and I want what's best for you in your life and I know what's best for you and I know that as you follow my principles of forgiveness and you forgive and you understand this, that here's what you're doing. You're gonna be able to be freed up to have my joy, which is a gift for you. My peace, my contentment will invade your life and it's gonna be different in your life and in your family you're going to be the beginning of something great. So whenever I forgive, I'm choosing God's freedom. But a lot of times, one of the reasons that we struggle with forgiveness is that we just don't know what it is. We're just confused. Here's something to write down. Biblical forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision to no longer hold or credit an offense against an offender. It's, it's a decision, right? Okay. Whenever I... It's actually a math term. It's, it's an accounting term. It's a banking term. It means to cancel a debt. It's not saying there was never a debt. There was a debt. It's not saying that, um, that, that you're not owed in some kind of way. It's, it's an accounting term that's a choice of releasing someone, releasing something. All right now, where I was struggling with forgiveness, and I don't have time to tell a story where I was really struggling with this uh, probably about about eight or nine years ago, where I had something show up in my life. I thought it was out of my life. Next thing you know, I'm dealing with stuff just like Joseph, just like this, and I didn't know what to do with it, and it was messing me up. Well, whenever I started understanding more of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not, it helped me tremendously. So let me give you some things very quickly, okay? Forgiveness is not a feeling, It is not a feeling. It is an act of the will. It may take a very long time for those feelings to ever line up with your decision. In fact, sometimes they never will. 
And if you're waiting around for the feelings to get there and, and, and that's what's going to happen, you, you may be waiting a long time and then you're going to go through most of your life never having forgiven and you may be bitter all of your life. It's not a feeling. Write this down. Forgiveness is not denying that sin occurred or that you were sinned against. It's not demi- denying that or it's, it's not diminishing that evil happened. It's not saying that evil didn't happen. It's not saying, well, that really wasn't that big a deal. Just get over over that. Did you see where Joseph said that? He said, I'm Joseph, by the way, the one you sold into slavery. I mean, at that point, he could have been like, I'm Joseph. Let's just sweep all that stuff under the rug. Let's just not deal with it. That would have been unhealthy. No, he said, I want you to understand what you did to me. But by the way, I'm going to forgive you of that. You did me wrong. A lot of times, We have a problem with forgiveness because we don't understand what it is and what we are most fearful of. And the reason most of us will not forgive is because we do not trust the justice of God. And we're afraid that person is going to get away with something, right? And so we keep them on our hook. Oh, I'm not letting this go. Here's what forgiveness is. You're not, they're not getting away with something. You're trusting in the justice of God. You're transferring them off of your hook onto God's hook. That's what you're doing when you forgive. I'm canceling the debt owed to me, and I'm turning this over to God. Daddy's going to sort it all out, not me. That's not my place anymore. Paul talks about this in Romans 12, 19. He says, dear friends... Dear friends, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to us today. Never take revenge. Never means never. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Off my hook onto God's hook. Off my hook onto God's. For the scripture says, what does God say? Look at what God says. I will take revenge. God's saying, I'll take care of things. Now, here's the deal. He may not do it the way you want it done. He may not do it in the timing. This is the factor of trust that comes in where you say, God, I'm trusting that you are all-knowing and that you are just. That you are just. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. What did Joseph do? He fed them, didn't he? If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. What he's saying is, in the cycle, stop this madness of continuing and perpetuating all this hate that's been in your family or in that situation or in that work environment or at the school or whatever that's been going on for all these years. He's saying, someone has to be a Joseph. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And that's all in a choice. The key to moving into forgiveness is trusting in God's justice. Saying, God, I trust you in this. I don't understand it. I don't understand your timing. I don't understand how you're going to handle it. But I don't want to be, I don't want to be under this power of this burden anymore. I'm done with it. I want to be free and I want to be joyful. I want to be peaceful. I am, I am carrying, I'm tired of carrying this heavy bag of rocks. I'm giving it to you. That's what you're doing. Forgiveness is not enabling sin. It's not becoming an enabler. Someone you love is an addict or a thief or an abuser. It's not saying it's okay for you to keep doing these things that you've been doing to me. It's not being an enabler. Here's another thing. Forgiveness is not a response to an apology. It's not a response to an apology. Well, they never said they were sorry for what they did to me. Joseph's brothers at this point are not really showing repentance at all. They're still lying. Judah's still lying about it. He's still perpetuating the lie, all right? Here's the truth. You may never get an apology, You may never get someone saying they're sorry. They may die without apologizing. They may have moved off and you don't have a way of connecting with them. They may may be out of sight, out of mind, but you may even never get to talk to them, but you can still make the choice to forgive because this is more about you and your relationship with God than it is about you and them. Here's a couple of things that that forgiveness, this isn't on your notes, but just some things to write down. There's what's called autonomous forgiveness, which is where you make the choice to forgive even when you haven't been asked. All you're doing is you're canceling the debt. 
You might not, we don't have time to get into this today, you might not even need to talk to them. You just cancel the debt. You just forgive in your heart and you move forward. And then there's what's called reciprocal forgiveness. And this is where there's repentance on their part. They're coming in brokenness and they're seeking your forgiveness and they're asking you to forgive and there's genuine repentance there. But it's in this situation, the the relationship might even be restored. That's not always the case, but sometimes it does happen when God is at work in that scenario there where there's repentance that is there. Write this down. Forgiveness is not covering up crimes committed against us. It's not covering that up. There are consequences that come with all of our actions. And there may come a time where you need to call the police. Oh, that's not forgiving for for calling the police. Or if you do that, that's not being forgiving. No, you can forgive them and still call the police. You may need to call the police. God does not expect us to stand by and be a group of people that say that it's okay for women to be beaten and for children to be abused. Let's just forgive. And God's not expecting that. You can forgive the offender and turn them over to the cops. Okay? And let God work out the justice in all of that. Their actions put them in jail, not your lack of forgiveness. Moving forward, forgiveness is not forgetting. Sometimes we hear this and we think this, that I'm supposed to forget. I find that to be virtually impossible, okay? Um, But here's the deal. A lot of people will use this verse, and this is a great verse, but they kind of take this out of context a little bit, where it says in Jeremiah 31, well, well, God, you know, will remember their sins no more. We need to understand that does not mean that God is like uh, forgotten all of these sins and he can't remember them uh, like God is walking around in rooms like sometimes I do forgetting why I went in there. Do you ever do that? Okay. God has a problem remembering things. What, now, what did they do? What was that? What this means is that God knows about the sin, but he chooses to cover it up with the blood of Jesus. He makes the choice to see them in God's grace rather than in, in what they've actually done, okay? God is all-knowing. God knows everything. Everything we've ever done, everything we ever will. But by his grace, he chooses to see them in light of as if their sins are not there anymore. That's called justification. Forgiveness is not trust instantly restored. It's not trust instantly restored. It takes time for trust to rebuild. You lose it instantly, trust, you lose it instantly, but it takes time to rebuild it. But you can forgive and then begin to work on the relationship and restore trust. It's not trust instantly restored. Forgiveness is not always reconciliation. It's not always reconciliation. The point is that it takes two people to reconcile. It takes two people. Uh, It takes one person to repent and one person to choose to forgive if there's reconciliation. And when I say repentance, I mean that what repentance means is that there's, there's change in behavior. There's restitution made where necessary, and, and, and that's whenever reconciliation can happen. It can begin to happen where relationships are repaired, all right? But forgiveness is one way. Reconciliation is two-way, where it takes both working at it together. Forgiveness is not resuming the relationship without any changes. It's not just saying, all right, let's just... Pretend this never happened. If I forgive, then then I have to accept them back and let them continue to hurt me the way that they have been hurting me for all of these years. I don't think Joseph was about to let that happen. He's saying this stuff is going to stop. And so it's not resuming without any changes. It's setting up a course of action for behavioral change. I can still take you off my hook and put you onto God's hook. And and if we're going to repair the relationship, it's going to take work. It's going to take work. I love what Lewis Smedes says. He's a theologian, and he said this, and this is the case, is that to forgive, he says, is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was actually you. And that's what you do whenever you choose to move into this, and I'm going to say this, a process. I really think that in chapters 43 and 44, Joseph was processing all of this. 
he's trying to figure out how to do this. And he goes back and forth. And, and that's, that's a lot of times where we find us. But, but here's the point. You can come to a point where you say today, even before you ever talk to that person or if you never talk to them ever again, you can come to the place of saying, as you're alone with God, God, I'm taking them off of my hook. I'm canceling the debt. I'm forgiving and I'm moving forward. I'm trusting them into your care I'm trusting that you are just. What I need is I need your peace. What I need is for you to invade my heart and fill me with your joy again. Because my heart has been filled with some stuff that's been bad for too long. And I want to move into my destiny. I don't want to stay in this past anymore. You see, you need to quit throwing rocks at the house because there's never enough rocks the only one that can take the house down is Jesus. I want to just invite you to pray with me at this moment, okay? As we pray, our worship team is going to come in and they're going to close us with a song. And as they're getting ready, I just want you right now just to get along with God. And I know that in one message, even in three messages, this is a lot to process. God loves you too much to leave you into this place of bitterness. He's, he's maybe making you uncomfortable right now because he wants to move you into a place that is going to set you free. He wants you to let go of your grudges and release your resentments. So, Father, as we bow our hearts before you, we acknowledge that it is so hard to do that, Lord, when we have been hurt, and many in here have been legitimately hurt, some beyond what I can even understand. And so we acknowledge today, right now, in your presence, that we cannot do this without your power. We've been throwing rocks, and they're not doing anything. All it's doing is wearing us out. We need your help, God. Right now, at this moment, this can be the moment where you just in your mind, you make a decision. You're not waiting on the feelings. You're making a decision just like Joseph to say, I am choosing right now to cancel the debt that is owed to me. Take them in your mind right now, in your heart, and you move them off of your hook. And you're transferring them into God's God's sovereign power onto his drop the heavy bag of rocks you've been carrying and put it at Jesus' feet you're not meant to carry it say this to him God I'm giving this over to you right now I don't want that person or what they've done to me or done to my family I do not want them to have any more power over my life right now I'm inviting right now your Holy Spirit to bring healing into my heart at this moment. Holy Spirit, would you just flood into this place? I trust you, God, that you are just. You set the record straight in your timing. You said vengeance is, is yours. It's not mine. So, Lord Jesus, I want to I see the cycle of dysfunction in my family. I want to see it stop with me. I want you to heal me emotionally. I want you to, to start something new in my legacy, in my family, for this moment to be a moment that changes my destiny and turn, I want to turn the rest of my life over to you, God. So I'm going to serve you, Lord, faithfully through the rest of my days. I move forward in freedom in you today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior today, this is exactly what he did for us. He canceled our debt on the cross. He forgave us our sin. We did not deserve it. He offered salvation freely to those who will accept it. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can call upon him to save you right now. So Jesus, be my Savior. I invite you into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. I want my relationship restored with you as I come to you in repentance. Thank you, God.
as you just listen to this song, I pray that you just continue to process this today. Listen to the words of this song. Just ask God to continue speaking to your heart.